Hello and welcome back or welcome to the Riley Brakefield Show. I am your host, Riley Brakefield, also known on the streets as Titties. I know I'm pretty hardcore like that. Um, but this podcast, you know, it's about pretty much whatever comes to my brain. It's mostly uh, college sports because that's what I love and that's what gets me up in the morning. You know, I don't know. But I just love to talk about college sports, talk about pro sports. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk about mythological creatures. We'll talk about... You name it, we're here, we're going to talk about it. If it's going on in the world, we're going to talk about it. I'm going to share my opinion, whether you want it or not, but you probably want it if you're listening. But don't forget to sh- like, share, subscribe, you know, follow on all social medias, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, I'm even on Facebook if you want to friend me on there. I'll be, I don't have one of those pages, but we can be friends at the minimum, I guess. That's fine with me. Today's show, um, a couple news topics. Hope you enjoyed your Christmas as well. Before I get too far, I forgot that Christmas was yesterday. Um, Merry Christmas to you and yours, you know, just how it is. Um, but today's show, just a little bit of news, what's going on in the world. Um, my top five, um, you know, no takeaways from college basketball or college football this weekend. was no. There was one bowl game, but I didn't, I didn't really check it out too much. No college basketball, so nothing really to talk about there. Um, but I will be previewing, you know, top games of the week um, before next before next episodes w- would be recorded and out. So, you know, talking Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday games, a um, couple bowl games in there, a couple college basketball games that tickle my interest, and then, you know, finish it, the show off with a couple NFL thoughts and takeaways from the weekend. Um, but that will be all the – oh, also I will be ranking um, first-year head college football coaches, you know, first year at the new job talk a little bit about them, why I have them, where they're at, kind of what the future looks like for them. Um, but getting into it, you know, we've got the Colts-Chargers game on here right now. Going to be checking that one out. Brandon Staley was uh, practicing in his sex routine for when he gets home, if you didn't see that already. Um, they also just had a horrible graphic of Justin Herbert basically being that meme um, where the guy's walking away, checking out the other girl, but they had a Hall of Fame voter with him, and he was looking at a winning and going to the playoffs, so that was kind of a weird graphic, but I, I mean, ESPN is known for that, so you got to love that for them. A couple big news coming out of the NFL today, Nathaniel Hackett was fired from the Broncos after, you know, their 4-11 or 5-11 start, and after getting blown out by the Rams, you know, Baker Mayfield looks like he might be fixed, um, but, you know, the Broncos decide to go the route of firing Nathaniel Hackett. I I don't know if that's the right move. If I would say I don't really feel like it's a head coach thing, I feel like it's a quarterback thing. The offense hasn't been able to click, but there's reports that, you know, possibly Sean Payton's looking at taking the job. So we'll see what happens there. But, you know, that could be conflicting considering he wants to have Vic Vangio as his DC. Vic Vangio was just a head coach there in Denver. So we'll see what happens there. But kind of an interesting situation. I don't feel like it necessarily was Nathaniel Hackett's fault that they, uh, Lost that game. I mean, you could say yes and no, but their offense has been struggling all year. I feel like it's been more of a Russell Wilson issue, in my honest opinion. So interested to see, you know, who they're going to hire as a head coach and see if, you know, he was the problem, where Hackett ends up landing because he, I think he's still a very smart offensive mind, so I'm sure he'll get picked up somewhere. Just going to be kind of interesting to see what happens with that whole situation and see kind of who the actual problem was. Speaking of problems, Tua Tagovailoa is on concussion protocol again. You know, you hate to see it for the young man, but he got – there's a video clip going around of him getting – he had just thrown the ball away and he got hit on – and he lands on his head. And so then, you know, people are pretty much assuming that's where his concussion came from. More than likely, I think that they're right. I mean, Warren Sharp, a very smart – analytical man for the 
for the NFL, he's always putting out good analytics and stuff like that. He came out and showed that if that play was where Tua suffered the concussion, before that play, Tua was 9 for 12 for 229 yards, 19.1 yards per attempt, almost 20 yards per attempt, had a touchdown and interception. After that play, 13 passes, so the same amount as before. He only had 12 before, and he only completed seven of them. He had 81 yards passing. It was 6.2 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, and three interceptions. So more than likely, that is where he suffered his concussion, something the NFL missed, you know, once again. So I just, I just hate to see this for two again. You know, I think he has a promising young career ahead of him. But at the same time, you know, you start to wonder when when is it time to hang it up because all these injuries just keep on lingering and lingering and lingering. You hate to see it, you know, for the young man, like I said. But it's just at the same time, you're like, is this, you know, how sustainable is this? How many more head injuries is he going to suffer? How many more injuries is he going to suffer as a whole? So I hope that, you know, he can get full recovery, everything goes good, And but at the same time, it might be time for Tua just to think about walking away if all these injuries keep piling up, especially if they're head ones. Can't really deal with another one there, in my opinion. But at least there was some bright, there was some bright spot of news that came out of the weekend. But this is kind of more involving a retired player. Apparently Gronk was offered... Um, to be able to wear number 69 because it's a considered an eligible receiver number now. So he'd be able to wear 69 you know, throughout the game, and he'd be an eligible receiver. So somebody offered him that, not apparent on who it was, but he's like, got to do whatever you can to get Gronk out. You know, God, just it's Gronk, one of the best tight ends the game's ever seen. Definitely top two, probably not two either. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with Gronk. I doubt he comes out of retirement. He seems like he's pretty happy. Just kind of a funny little news story that came out. Looks like the Colts might win tonight. Um, everyone on the Monday Night Football preview broadcast, I'll just pick the Chargers to win, so that's not a good sign if you are betting the Chargers to win this one. That sucks. We'll see. They got Nick Foles starting this game, too. That's going to be interesting to see what Nick Foles can put together. Speaking of quarterbacks, though, DJ Ugalele um, is announced that he is transferring to Oregon State. Um, we'll see what he can do there. You know, Oregon State coming off a really good year, just finished out 10-3, and I believe. One of their bowl game, you know, looking really good. Very competitive this year in the Pac-12. Won quite a few games. Um, we'll see what happens with them. I, uh, you know, I don't know if it's the right move. I don't know if DJ is really a five-star talent like he was supposed to be. We'll see if it's just he just didn't mesh well with Dabo Sweeney and the system that they ran there, or if it's just something he's got going on mentally. Kind of cool though. His brother just committed to Oregon, you know. So once the Civil War comes around, if his brother is playing, Mateo. Mateo is his younger brother. If his brother's playing and DJ's starting, it'd be kind of cool to see Mateo get a sack, you know, on his big brother. That'd be something that probably hasn't happened very too often. So that would be cool to see. But we'll see. I'm excited for I'm excited for him. I'm excited to see, you know, if he really is this five star talent that he's cracked up to be. You know, he looked great a couple of years ago in that loss to Notre Dame. You know, everyone thought that Clemson was going to be in good hands. And then when he became the full time starter, just never, never really seemed to click and go the way that they wanted to. So we'll we'll see. I hope I hope that it works out because it'd be cool to add another team out there in the Pac-12 that would be interesting. I mean, think about the Pac-12 right now. You have USC with Caleb Williams coming back. Utah can't count out Kyle Whittingham. I mean, he's been doing a phenomenal job there for so long. He always seems to really be finding his groove. You know, back-to-back Pac-12 titles, really putting together a program there. So they're a tough team to watch out for. UCLA. Just landed Dante Moore, obviously. Chip Kelly's really seen a lot of progress in that program in the past two years, especially. Don't really th- see things changing too much. Oregon, Dan Lanning just got a huge recruiting class. I mean, they had a really good year. 
Washington, you know, Kalen DeBoer in his first year had a really good year. He had in Oregon State who already had a good year and getting a talent like DJ makes makes them interesting to see if, you know, like I was talking about, what the problem is with him. You got Colorado who's looking up. I mean, things are just looking up in the Pac-12. You could even throw Washington State in there. I mean, Cam Ward, I believe, is coming back. They had a good year, you know, finished out 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four or whatever. It was really, you know, they had a really successful season. I mean, who else? Arizona's seen a lot of progress within their program. Ken Dillingham at Arizona State now. I mean, the Pac-12 as a whole can be really, really fun conference to watch next year. I'm actually pretty juiced to watch it. One other big quarterback news in the college football world, Hudson Card, backup quarterback for Texas this year, started a couple games, came against Alabama, didn't do too bad in that game. You know, had a decent year, had a decent couple years at Texas, but he decided to transfer. He's going to Purdue, kind of take over and lead that team. I think he's only got one year, maybe two years left of eligibility, but definitely an interesting move. He's definitely a very – I think he can definitely be a very – a top 20 quarterback in college football next year. It didn't make a lot of bad decisions at Texas. You know, he can throw the ball, does make does make right decisions. So I think it's a very interesting get for Purdue, a program that's got a new head coach coming in, you know, a couple new faces, losing a couple key guys. So we'll see what happens with them. But I do like the move for Hudson Card, and I think it's, I think it's going to pan out and make Purdue pretty interesting out there in the Big Ten West. Watch Glass Onion this weekend. You know, that was a big movie that everyone was talking about. This is a sequel to Knives Out, you know, kind of in the same world as that. Good movie. I definitely recommend checking out. I enjoyed it. Um, not Don't want to give any spoilers away if you haven't seen it, but if you haven't, go, go check it out. It's definitely worth a watch in my opinion. found something a little interesting. I found something out new today that I found quite interesting. That sounds better, I think. Kwanzaa. You ever heard of Kwanzaa? I know I've seen it on calendars and stuff like that. I guess basically, you know, it's I never really understood it, never looked too much into it. I thought it was kind of more of a an African thing, you know, and I never look, did too much research into it or what it was. And it basically is something for black people and black people's culture, I guess. But it was created by a professor in the 60s and not really widely participated in up until like the 70s, 80s, I guess. Um, but basically, a college professor made this up, and a lot of people say, you know, it's just kind of a fake holiday. Not not a lot of people seem to celebrate it, and I've seen this from a lot of black people as well. But basically, you know, he, he stopped believing. People think that this guy basically created it for black people to stop believing in church, in a sense, and stop believing in the white, the white, the white culture of you have to go to church. You know, the conservative culture of church and stuff like that, which I don't agree with either. But at the same time, this was created, you know, kind of for the Democratic Party, in a sense, to help get black people on their side. Mm, but I found out this guy who created it um, was also kidnapping and keeping young women in his basement. So absolute psycho that created this made-up holiday to help people, but never doesn't really help anyone but create more divide in our country. He's the creator of that, so, you know, makes sense to listen to somebody like that. So it doesn't make any sense to me. Kind of weird. Kind of just stumbled across it. If you didn't know, figured now you know, you know. So now for this week's top five. My top five this week is top five mythical mythological creatures that I think are real. Because I just do. I There's no evidence to prove that they aren't. Because if dinosaurs are real, anything can be real in my opinion. Because I don't believe that dinosaurs are real. Never seen one in my life. So how am I supposed to know that it's real? So how do we know that such things as goblins at number five aren't real. I believe goblins are real, dude. I've seen videos. I've seen videos on the internet of these little weird-looking creatures, you know, and this, 
it's either really good CGI, it's always low quality videos, just like everything ever is. But, you know, I have a belief that goblins are real because they're just mischievous little creatures that like to steal things. And I am always losing things. Many people are always just randomly losing things in their new places. You know, these goblins, you know, you probably think that, you know, you have a spirit in your house. It's probably just a goblin. Goblins are real. I know that goblins are real. I've seen them with my own eyes. I watched the video. Like I said, I watched the video. I know goblins are real. Number four, mermaids. I believe that mermaids are real. You know, it's either mermaids are real or when pirates were out on all these voyages, they were just fucking seals and thinking, you know, they were so sleep deprived out there in the middle of the ocean making these big long ventures across the world that they didn't even know ex existed on the other side. You know, you get a little horny, you get a little confused, you get a little tired and you, you fuck a seal maybe. But then again, you have to get that thing, hold it down. I think mermaids are real. You know, those all those stories and there's just no way. I've seen video as well. I've seen video evidence of mermaids. There was that one show on like TLC. I don't think it wasn't TLC. I don't even know what it was. They were trying to find out if mermaids are real. I believe I believe in mermaids. I think that they're out there. I think that they're, you know, there's Atlantis out there. There's all these things. I believe in mermaids. It's pretty simple. Number three, I believe that griffins are real. Griffins, if you're not familiar, I know they're they're not a mainstream one. They have the body of a lion and usually a head and wings as well. Sometimes no wings. Usually head and wings of a bird, which is usually an eagle. You know, they've always been guarding treasures and stuff like that. They're they're well known to be a loyal creature. They were basically dogs before dogs were ever real. So I believe that griffins are real. Griffins are real. Yeah, I believe that griffins are real. I just that's just one that I I don't have a lot of evidence to back that up. Not a whole lot of argument about it, but I just I don't see how they wouldn't be if they're such a loyal creature. You know, I'm sure that I have one out there guarding my family's long lost treasure that we have no idea about because you know the world's changed so much in the past two thousand years after Christ was born. So anything could happen before then. You know, everyone says the that you know Earth is millions and millions of years old. So then. In my opinion, that means that all these creatures are real if that's the case. Because why would they not be? You can't just make stuff like that up. You can't just make stuff up. It's impossible. You know, I have chlamydia. Did I make that up? Of course. But I can't just make it up like that because it just doesn't make sense. So, number three, griffins. Number two, though, has to be one of the best, most beautiful mythological creatures there are ever in the entire world that is alive. And, you know, they're just triumphing through our lands. They're just triumphing through our sky. That's unicorns. There's so much evidence to prove that unicorns are real. It's unbelievable. I mean, there's already a horse. All you got to do is just put a little a little horn on it. Pfft, done deal. Unicorns are real. They're out there in the forest right now. They're roaming around. They're watching over people. They're worrying about the future of their forest. You know, there's unicorns for each forest. It's proven. Just go look it up. There's a unicorn that mans every forest and they're protector of the of the realm that's just what unicorns do they just protect you they'll give you beautiful rides i've seen unicorns running through fields i mean i grew up in montana we have a huge unicorn population i've seen at least 50 unicorns and you're trying to tell me unicorns aren't real bullshit number one backs up the argument that if dinosaurs are real these have to be real dragons if dinosaurs are real dragons are real there's no way in hell dragons weren't real dude who the hell was king arthur supposed to fight who are all these mythological heroes and stuff that everyone says was real they were fighting dragons dragons are still alive to this day they're just hiding they're dormant once nuclear war comes back then they'll kind of come out and take back over and try to help us out i've already got it figured out i already know i already know that my dragon's gonna be my my dragon's somewhere in the world i know that i have one because i just know that i have special magical powers like that so i know that dragons are real i know that they're kind of protectors of the whole world you know the master wizard put them to sleep until absolute chaos ensued in the entire world and then they'll come in to protect us and help us once aliens or nuclear war starts so my number one mythological creature that i know is real is dragons because if dinosaurs are real 
Dragons have to be. But that's this week's top five. I hope you enjoyed. Let's move on to talking a little bit about some college football and college basketball. Like I said, you know, oh, well, actually, hold on. Get myself confused here. No, no real college basketball or college football games to recap that really tickled my interest or that I even watched. Um, but we'll get into that in a sec. First, I'm going to be ranking the new head football coaches. This is only for Power 5 programs as well. as I threw UConn in there because they're still independent. They still have, you know, in terms of Power 5, they are a Power 5 school in the past. You know, they're independent right now, so they're not technically one, but they have been in the past, and I think moving forward in the future, they're definitely going to be an independent team to watch. Number one, <coughs> I'm joking, hold on. Number one, <coughs> never had COVID in my life, so that's not COVID. I know that for a fact. I just show you on water. That's all it is. Sonny Dykes, obvious number one, in my opinion. <coughs> I mean, in the college football playoff, almost won the Big 12 title, had a perfect regular season, finished out 12-1, and one, turned around the program. You know, they had Gary Patterson at the helm for 20-some 20, years for so long he was there. Program just needed a fresh new voice. Sonny Dykes was that guy. But not just that, the recruiting has stepped up as well. They finished 45th in the country last year. This year they're sitting at 18. You know, I know they've got quite a few good transfer guys as well. Really, really building something there. I mean, has a chance to go compete for a national championship in year one. I think that they can do it, honestly. In my honest opinion, I think TCU has a chance. So number one to me has to be Sonny Dykes. He he deserves the utmost respect. Put together a phenomenal year. Like I said, has a chance to win a national championship. Has to be number one. Number two, Lincoln Riley. Um, mostly for the fact of the overall improvement of USC. I know they didn't make the playoffs. You know, I know they lost the Pac-12 title, but at the same time, the team was four and eight last year and finished out eleven and two. You know, with a possible bowl game. You know, getting the twelve wins possibly. Really, really good year. The recruiting improved. I mean, last year they were sitting seventieth in the country. weren't really recruiting very well. I mean, they're getting a lot of transfers really helped them. That's what was key. But you know, now sitting this year, they're the twelfth. They have the twelfth best class in the country. That's you know, if you want to be a team that's going to compete and win national championships and be in that playoff conversation every year, you got to be putting together top 15 recruiting classes at a minimum you know you need to have that talent level you need to be getting guys in that you can trust and you know they can help build for the future of this program and just get your name out there you got to kind of be up at that top top upper echelon to really be considered a threat and to be able to build a program and be able to compete for national championships and conference championships on a regular basis so to me Lincoln Riley's kind of got that going again at USC Number three, my boy, Brian Kelly. You know, if things go a little different, you don't lose Florida State, you don't lose to Texas A&M, you don't lose in the SEC championship, you're in the playoffs probably right now, putting together a really good year. But the fact, the reason he's at three is because LSU really was a dumpster fire the past two years. Barely, you know, sitting at 500 the past two years. Lost the bowl game last year. Not that that really matters in my opinion. But really just a god-awful program that kind of took a dip. And then in your first year to win nine games, get to a bowl game, have a huge upset against Alabama, upset Old Miss. You know, still they were still considered a top-10 team at the time. Gets number three, couple, the ball falls a different way, you win. You know, And the recruiting class did improve. You know, last year they were sitting at 12. 
This year we're sitting at 11, so things are improving, so that's why Brian Kelly gets number three. Number four, a guy's name I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, Kalen DeBoer out of Washington. The improvement, you know, is unreal for what he did for the Huskies this year. They finished out 4-8 and eight last year. You know, you get a new head coach and you're not really sure where things are going to go. You'll land a big transfer quarterback in Michael Penix, you know, and you have a 10-2 and two year, a really solid year for Washington, the chance to finish out here in the top 10, win your bowl game. They got that one this week. Talk about that more. But to see that huge improvement from 4-8 and eight to 10-2, and two, you know, just proves really got something special. There's a ton of talent on that roster. Everyone knows that, you know, but you're looking at the recruiting class last year, they were 96th. This year they jumped up to top 30, the 27th best class in the country. And I know I said, you know, 15, but if you're in that top 30, you're at least starting to really build something special. If you're in the top 30 year in, year out, you're really starting to build a good program, really starting to get a foundation of, you know, who you can be a top 25 program at a minimum. Washington can obviously take a step forward, but for now, you know, work on being a perennial top 25 team you know, building out that talent, building out that roster, and things will come. I mean, Washington's a program. Chris Peterson took them to the fucking college football playoff a couple of years ago. There's, it's, it can happen at Washington. In the 90s, they were very successful. They had a ton of talent back in the 90s. They are a program that can really be something special. I really feel like Kalen's getting that, and I, I really like the direction that the Huskies are going. But I have him at four just because the other three guys, you know, accomplished a little bit more this year in my opinion. Number five, Mike Elko. This is kind of one, you know, I gave him five. Well, so Duke finishes out eight and four this year. The year before that, they were, I don't remember. I think they were three and nine or four and eight. I didn't write it down. The goal was eight and four this year. Eight games is a huge deal when you are the head coach of Duke football. Like, that's, that's a huge accomplishment. You know, not a lot has changed recruiting-wise. 51st last year, 50th right now. But I'm really looking towards the future. You know, what this program was able to accomplish this year really shows to me what kind of coach Mike Elko can be, what he can really build for the future for Duke. That's why I got him at five, you know, really a solid year. The recruiting didn't change too much, but I really expect a lot out of him moving forward in the future. I think he can really, you know, get his name out there. If he has another successful year at Duke, he's probably getting an even higher, more prestigious Power 5 job next year bound to happen but good for him you know i like to see that you know especially at duke that's a tough tough place to win number six jim mora yukon the recruiting didn't change they're 113th last year but finished out 100 will not finish out they're at 112th this year you know i expect there to get, be a couple transfers a couple guys getting second chances at a place like yukon jim mora proved you know he's he's a really good coach i knew that coming into the season I, I when I was writing blogs, I, I I was told a lot of people, and I said it on this podcast before. I just saw something in Jim Moore. His first year when he was with the Falcons and with UCLA Bruins, he really, really had a good first year. He just that's something that just seems to happen with him, and he did it again this year. I mean, finishing six and six at UConn and making the bowl game, unreal, awesome year for them, especially because last year they were one and eleven, didn't play the, the year before, but got a national championship from some bozy some bozo fucking writer who believed in COVID, basically. But ultimately for them, um, UConn's got a good coach. Jim Mora has proven that he can win. It's just a matter of if he can kind of keep that base and foundation going for the next couple of years. We'll see, but I think based off of this year's success, he's he's really going to be able to put something together at UConn and make a couple of bowl games and possibly be competitive at some point. Number seven, 
Dan Lanning, you know, could be higher, but if they didn't lose those couple games down the stretch, I mean, not a whole lot of improvement necessarily. Oregon finished out 10-4 and four last year, you know, obviously making the Pac-12 title game and whatnot. 9-3 and three this year, had a really good chance they were in it, and in the conversation making the Pac-12 t- title pretty much up until the end of the season. Recruiting did improve a little bit, you know, um, looking at 247 Sports is where I'm giving my getting my recruiting rankings from as of today at like 5 o'clock. Um, have them, what do they have them sitting at? They're sitting at 11th right now. They obviously had a huge, huge haul on uh, National Signing Day. They got a lot of good guys, a lot of, a lot of key pickups for Dan Lanning, really putting something together there. So I am seeing the improvement in the recruiting, but overall, you know, Oregon was a really good program. Mario Cristobal really is doing a good job there, so not a whole lot of change to me. It's just it's more about what's going to happen in the next couple of years to see if you know Dan Lanning is going to be a better head coach at Oregon than Cristobal was. You know, kind of comparing where teams were last year. But who knows? If he has another good year, brings another big recruiting class, he's probably going to get signed to the next SEC head coach opening. Just a matter of time. Everyone knows it. Number eight guy I was just talking about Mario Cristobal. Really not a good year for Miami. Finished five and seven, seven and five last year. So no real improvement. Everyone thought they were going to be really good this year. Really hasn't seen. Really didn't seem that way. A couple points throughout the season, they just couldn't score. A couple points throughout the season, their defense looked bad. So we'll kind of see moving forward. The only reason Cristobal's not lower, you know, seven and five to five and seven head coaching change. You know, sometimes that's to be expected. Only reason he's not lower is because he's came he's came in and done a hell of a job recruiting. As of right now, they have the fourth best class in the country. That's quite the accomplishment. Being top five is quite a big deal. Like I was talking about being top 15 earlier. Being top five is an even bigger deal. We can do that on a year-in, year-out basis. You know, the year prior, they were, what, 16th? They had the 16th best recruiting class. Pretty much a pretty huge jump for them. So that's kind of looking towards the future, looking towards what's next for them. Seems like Cristobal can probably be the guy for them. Number nine, Joey McGuire at Texas Tech. The only reason he's really here, record didn't change. They went seven and five or seven and six technically last year, you know, depending on how their bowl game goes. Could be eight and four or eight and five or seven and six, you know, but still kind of the same either way. Only real reason I have him at nine, a huge recruiting class jump. I mean, they finished out the 43rd last year. Right now they're sitting 23rd, top 25, huge deal. You know, the state of Texas has a ton of talent, and they're getting that. So that, to me, you know, that shows the improvement of what Texas Tech is looking for and shows more towards the future for me. Now, these last four guys are pretty – they're bottom feeders, you know. The, 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 the four out of 13 that haven't done too well compared to the rest of the bunch. Number Number 10 to me – Marcus Freeman, um, recruiting took a little bit of hit. You know, still put a top ten class together. If we're just comparing apples to apples, like I was with everyone else, you know, they were they finished out seventh last year. They're sitting eighth right now. So, you know, a little bit of a little bit of setback, I guess. But to me, the biggest thing is the record wise. You know, Notre Dame finished out eleven and one with Brian Kelly last year, and then Freeman became the head coach for the bowl game. Lost the bowl game, had a really bad start to this season, f- finished out eight and four. So, if we're just comparing apples to apples, you look at an eleven two record last year, eleven and one with Brian Kelly. You know, even you could say 
going in that direction. 11-1 with Brian Kelly, and then to be 8-4 and four with Marcus Freeman. A little bit of a setback. You know, they played some not-so-good games to start out the season. We all saw the Marshall loss. Um, but there was a lot of good improvement towards the end of the season. So, But the only reason to me that they're down is just kind of the record difference, looking at it, and the other big jumps these other coaches did with these programs in year one. That's why he's kind of sitting at 10, kind of just more in the middle, the record to me, why I would rank Joey McGuire higher right there. Same with Mario Cristobal, the recruiting, the, the huge impact. I think that puts him ahead of Marcus Freeman in year one. Number 11, Billy motherfucking Napier, dude. It's Florida fans, they don't know what to believe about this guy. They think he's the Messiah, but the, some of them also think he's the Antichrist. We will see, but nothing really has changed. Finished out 6-7 and seven last year, did the exact same this year. The recruiting class got a little bit better. They're sitting at 12th right now when they were 18th last year, so maybe there's that improvement. We'll see. Things just are not looking good for Billy Napier at Florida right now. I personally think Florida made the wrong decision in firing Dan Mullen, so I think it's going to come back to bite them in the ass. Number 12, and easily could be number 13, Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Horrible job. Horrible job. I don't give a shit about the recruiting class when it comes to this one. Lincoln Riley was the head coach last year. Lincoln Riley was the head coach for, what was it, like four or five years. Bob Stoops was the head coach for a really long time. Nothing should have really fundamentally changed with Oklahoma this year. I did not think they would be a playoff team, but I thought they would at least finish out with nine wins. They finished at 500. They're 6-6 six and six right now. They have a bowl game this week, but I don't think they're going to win that. They have one of the top five most talented rosters throughout the country when you add up the recruiting class rankings, transfer rankings, all that stuff. They have a top five team, I guess, in talent. And you go six and six? Doesn't sit right with me. Lee and Riley had made the playoffs in years past. Bob Stutes had won you national championships in years past, put you in national championships. And the the... Lincoln Riley to Bob, the Bob Stoops to Lincoln Riley hire wasn't that bad because Lincoln Riley was already on staff, so not a lot changed. So you know, like I said, you expect the you expect a little bit of change when a new fra new face, new voice comes in. But Oklahoma still had a crap ton of talent. There is absolutely zero reason they shouldn't have finished out with at least eight wins. So to me, Brent Venables would get a D minus if I was giving out grades. That's how bad of a year he had, and only one person had worse, and that to me is Brent Pry. Virginia Tech had a horrible year. I mean, they finished out, what was it? They were bowl eligible last year, I believe. They were either 7-5 and five or 6-6. Six and six. Wasn't, a horrible, wasn't a great season for them. They decided to ultimately fire Justin Fuente. They go and get Brent Pry, and they go 3-9 and nine this year. Yes, granted, the last game of the season they didn't play. Still an absolutely abysmal year. Recruiting didn't really change too much. They finished out with the 36th best class last year, right now sitting at 34th. I mean, Virginia Tech, you know, they were once a storied program, but now it just seems like they're just kind of be run of the mill. I don't think Brent Prime is the guy. We'll have to see what kind of jump happens in year two. But year one, you know, not even being bowl eligible is kind of a really bad look, especially at a place like Virginia Tech and playing in the ACC that – you know, was up and down all year long. <clears throat> so, to me, Brent Pry is the 13th worst Power 5 hire of the season. So, that's me ranking the coaches. Maybe I should I should remember this, see where I ranked them, and then next year I'll do 
you know, I'll do a fresh faces, and then I'll rate those year those year two guys and see how they're doing, just for just for shits and giggles, you know. Now for a couple bowl games that I'm liking this week, a couple college basketball games that are, I'm getting excited about this week as well. Starting off with Tuesday night, a couple bowl games. We got the Birmingham Bowl, Coastal Carolina versus ECU. You know, Coastal Carolina playing without head coach Jamie Chadwell, as well as star quarterback Grayson McCall, who's in the transfer portal. Huge disadvantage for Coastal Carolina. I think Chadwell is a very, you know, a huge part of their success. He really built that program, and Grayson McCall was the perfect quarterback to do that. So I really don't think that, you know, they're going to really have much to fight for in this game. As compared to East Carolina, Holton Allers, their starting quarterback, he's going to be there. The kid can sling it. The line's sitting at my, at 7 right now. I'm going to be going ECU minus 7. Just feels like too easy of a game. Like I said, no no head coach, no star quarterback. Going to be a huge effect on how the Chanteliers play this game. Second bowl game on Tuesday night, guaranteed rate bowl, Wisconsin versus Oklahoma State. Both these teams playing without their starting quarterback. Spencer Sanders hit the portal. Graham Mertz obviously hit the portal. Um, you know, I think Wisconsin's going to come out and win this one. The line is in their favor at 3.5 right now. I'm going to bet that, um, mostly for the fact that Braylon Allen is going to be playing in this game. You know, he's still got one more year of eligibility at a minimum. He's pretty much their offense, so I don't see much changing for Wisconsin. I see them kind of just pounding the ball with Braylon Allen, winning it out in tough, nitty, gritty way. Moving on to Wednesday night, we actually have some college basketball that tickles my interest. But first up, we got bowl games, military bowl, UCF first Duke. Obviously, he was just talking about Mike Elko, all the success he's had. You know, he's got his he's got a starting quarterback. He's got most of his team here for this bowl game, so it should be fun for them. UCF, on the other hand, had a really good year. Gus Malzahn, obviously an offensive genius. You know, has a guy like John Rice Plumley as his quarterback. Both these quarterbacks can, you know, they do pretty good. They're not both two pass-heavy teams. But I do like the over here at 62.5. I do feel like there's going to be a lot of points in this game just because both quarterbacks can sling it. Both quarterbacks are a little bit mobile. So I, I, like, I like a lot of points here in this one. Second bowl game of the night on Wednesday, AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Kansas versus Arkansas. Um, huge game for both these teams. Well, not huge game for both these teams. Huge game, in my opinion, for Lance Leipold. You know, to beat an SEC quality team. Arkansas hasn't had a lot of transfers out. They've kind of been sitting in the middle in terms of that. Had a really down year for them as compared to what Kansas really has coming into this game. They have a lot more to fight for. Bowl game win, beating SEC school. To me, it just feels right. Everything's lining up in Kansas's favor. I'm going to go Kansas money line. I think Arkansas was favored by three or four. I, I think Kansas is going to come out a little bit more inspired, a little bit more happy to be there compared to what Arkansas is going to put out on the field. Third game of the night on Wednesday. Like I said, Thursday's loaded, bro. Thursday is motherfucking loaded with some good ones. Oregon, North Carolina, Bo Nix coming back to Oregon. Kind of going to be a fun quarterback matchup. Bo Nix versus Drake May. Two early Heisman favorites for next year. Gonna fun, be fun to watch them go back and forth. I really do like the over in this one, but I'm probably gonna end up taking North Carolina money line. Um, North Carolina, the see it's set at 14, and I couldn't really put together too many good reasons on why that would be necessarily. I know that Oregon, you know, still has a lot of guys sticking around. Obviously, still has their starting quarterback, but I just have faith in Drake May. I've always had faith in Drake May, and 14 points seems like a bit much to me. So I expect North Carolina to cover that spread. So North Carolina plus 14 for the old motherfucking holiday bowl. 
Alamo, uh, Texas Bowl, Texas Tech, Old Miss. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of uh, points. A lot of points in this one. It's going to be a points fest. There's going to be points here. There's going to be points there. There's going to be points motherfucking everywhere. It's just going to be points. But the over-under is set at 71 right now. And that just feels like a lot to me. 71 points, you know, you do that in math terms. It's thirty. It's a 36-35 ball game. Splitting it right down the middle. Do I feel like that can happen? Yes, I feel like it could be a 42-38 type ball game. But that just seems like such a big number to bet. And every time I bet those big numbers, it never seems to go that way. So it's going to be a split decision for me, split second decision for me. I don't know who I'm going to pick. I don't know what side I'm going to go. But I just like the points here. I feel like it's just going to be both teams are going to be able to put up points or they're both just going to be really stagnant and not be able to score the ball. But we don't just have a lot of college football bowl games on Wednesday night. We got a lot of really good college basketball games. I got five here. Villanova versus UConn. UConn's obviously still undefeated. They've been on an absolute tear this year. I haven't played too many tough teams. You know, Villanova's definitely one of those tougher teams we're going to have to go against. They always seem to fight tooth and nail to the very end. I know there's, you know, the head coaching change, but to me, this feels like a game Villanova gets up for. But I'm probably, I, th- I do think UConn is going to win. You know, if the line is set at about three, I'm probably going to go UConn. If it's a little bit more than that, I'm probably going to go Villanova. I feel like six is really the max. The three to six spot is really is really the sweet spot that I think UConn for sure wins and would cover that. Second game of the night, Kentucky versus Missouri. Missouri's only lost one game. Was the Kansas, you know, really good Kansas team. They've beaten good teams this year, though. They've beaten Illinois, you know, but to me, Kentucky feels more like a Kansas team in terms of matchups for them. I don't really think that they can slow down Kentucky. I feel like the line's going to come anywhere between one and seven for this game in Kentucky's favor. The line at three makes me a lot more confident in Kentucky. I think that they're going to win this game, but I could see them winning by quite a bit. Missouri's been challenged, but not challenged too much. So just wait and see on that one. More than likely, even at seven, I'd take Kentucky to win the game. Third one, Alabama versus Mississippi State. Uh, Alabama's ranked eighth right now. Mississippi State is 21. I feel like Mississippi State's kind of a fraud top 25 team. Hasn't played too many good teams this year. You know, They only have one loss. Um, that one loss affected them drastically in the polls. This one just feels like Alabama's just going to kind of come out and dominate the Bulldogs here. If the line the line to me anywhere between five feels like that's what's going to be the line to me for this one, and that feels right, I think Alabama's probably going to kind of just go up and down the floor on them. So, but if it's set anywhere above eight, have some hesitancy with it. Five feels like the real sweet spot to me. Four, Arkansas. LSU, fourth game here that tickles my interest. Arkansas coming to town, you know, getting the respect that they deserve. They've only lost one game this year. Eric Musman's really got himself a team this year. Quite, you know, they're going up and down. They're 11-1 and as well. LSU's also 11-1. and To me, this just feels like a game that's brewing up, you know, for early season storm watch. Common theme for college basketball. I feel like LSU's going to come out and win this one. I'm going LSU money line. It just feels, feels right to me. I'm thinking about even going to the game. I mean, I live like 20 minutes away. It's not that far. Think about going to the game just to kind of see LSU this year and see how Arkansas is looking. But I'm rocking LSU money line for that one, especially if I go to the game. I'll, I'll fucking make sure to tweet it out and be like, I'm going to the game. LSU money line is the pick for this one. Bet the house on it. And if you're watching this Colts Chargers game, 
or trying to remember it as I'm talking about it. I just watched the Colts run the same play like four times of freaking play action post route to Mo Ali Cox, and finally it was intercepted. They ran that play, I saw it three times while I was sitting here recording. They ran the same play three different times. And it didn't work the first two times. And the third time was just a lucky charm for the Chargers, I guess. That was absolutely so stupid. Why did they do that? Three times on the same drive. Like, did we not know it was coming? Because if you didn't, you're, shouldn't be in the NFL, you shouldn't be in the NFL safety if you didn't see that one coming. Like, holy shit. Last game for college basketball for the week that actually took my interest, I think, yeah. Xavier versus St. John's. St. John's is actually having a really good year. Xavier's kind of really been struggling against these uh, top-ranked teams. They haven't been able to get the job done. And I don't think that changes on Wednesday. I'm going to go St. John's here. I feel like the line's actually going to be favored in St. John's direction. Um, but they have a guy by the name of Joel Soriano. He plays the center position. He's averaging 15 and 12 right now, 15 points per game, 12 rebounds per game. Just having a really solid year and like I said I've seen I was looking at the box scores Xavier struggles against these tougher opponents so I think St. John's wins this one and I wouldn't be surprised if they're favored either a couple more bowl games on Thursday cheese it bowl Oklahoma Florida State talking about Oklahoma a little bit ago Brent Venables the horrible job that he's done this year more than likely the team's finishing six and seven because if they don't Florida State really needs to think about if Mike Norvell is the guy if Florida State loses this game to Oklahoma, they're going to be in huge trouble. The line's sitting at 9.5, and, and if Florida State doesn't even cover the spread, I'm going to be very disappointed in them. Holy shit. Interception Colts. This game is unreal, man. Intercept. This is going to be an interception fest. Justin Herbert is mid. That's just all i got to say. But going back to the Cheez-It Bowl, Florida State, I – there's no way in hell they should lose this one. All the success they've had this year, they put together a really good year. Jordan Travis is sticking around, so he'll be there for the bowl game. Like I said, the spread's at 9.5. They should cover that easily. They should win this game by 10, I would think. If they don't, I'm going to have some serious questions about them going into next year, and they should have serious questions about Mike Norvell if they lose this game. Just my honest opinion. You should not. If Florida State has made any jump or improvement like they have this year and thought that they did, they need to be. They need to blow out Oklahoma, in my opinion, because Oklahoma tons of talent on the team, but obviously a poorly, poorly coached team. No way in hell. No way in hell should Mike Norvell lose this game, let alone cover the spread. He, the spread should he should cover it with ease, please. Thank you. Second game on Thursday, last bowl game for the week. Not for the week. I'll have more on. I'll have more on Friday's show. Don't get upset. Don't worry about it. Last one. Texas, Washington, Texas ranked 20th right now, Washington 12th. You know, Talking about Kalen DeBoer, all the success he's had there at Washington. Michael Penix will be playing in the bowl game, coming back again for next year. Quinn Ewers in this game as well. Should be a ton of points, I feel like. Really like the over. It's set at 67.5. I'm either taking the over or going Texas minus 3.5. I feel like you know Quinn Ewers kind of getting himself back to full health. Should really come out and give, give a really good performance, I expect them to win this game by four um but i do really like the over as well if i'm if i'm if you're feeling a little shaky about the spread or washington money line go with the over it's, i'm pretty confident the over will hit but that's the only bowl games that uh, should be interesting this week moving on to a couple nfl thoughts and takeaways from the weekend you know the playoff picture is really starting to set up kind of the only things i'm really talking about here you know each 
each conference has two AFC, uh, two wild card spots open, and then the AFC South division and NFC South division are still up for grabs. You know, and thinking talking about the NFC South, how does Tom Brady keep doing this, man? I mean, look like they were dead in the water, and somehow once again he pulled off a late comeback, just like they have been doing for it seems like the past five weeks now. It's been an unreal tear. You know, I if, I don't want to get the Bucks in the playoffs if I'm the Cowboys, honestly. Tom Brady, for one, has never lost to the Cowboys. Two, you don't know what you're going to get with this Bucks team. I mean, they are god-awful this year. They've been horrible. But for some reason, they just seem to keep themselves in these games and win late when they need to. It's, I, think this, I seriously think this is the fourth time this year Tom Brady has pulled off a drive like that. It's been – or not a drive, but kept his team alive and a chance to win the game. And they just keep on doing it, man. It's blowing my, blowing my mind. You know, kind of going back to the AFC South, though, the other division that's open for grabs, I really feel like it's the end of an era in Tennessee. I feel like it's time to just have a fire sale, trade everyone you can, cut everyone you can. You know, sadly, that means Taylor Lewan will probably get cut, busting with the boys. I love that guy, you know, but he has a ton of money. He's talked about it openly that he thinks there's a chance he'll get cut just because the injury history, the PEDs. But I would just be surprised. I feel like it's time for something new in Tennessee. I'm not, you know, I don't think you need to fire Mike Vrabel, but if I'm Mike Vrabel, you might think about going somewhere else, possibly if you don't want to do a rebuild, because I think it's time to do a rebuild. Things just don't seem to be going the right way. They don't really have a quarterback for the future. I don't think Malik Willis is the answer. Ryan Tannehill, I mean, maybe got one more good year out of him, but he's dealt with injuries this year. I just don't think that the Tennessee Titans are who they were the past couple of years. I think it's kind of all coming to an end. That playoff loss last year just kind of showed more of it, in my opinion. So I, th- I think I definitely think it's time to to cut ties with that. You know, and the Jags they actually hold the division right now with their win on Thursday night against the Jets. I mean, that'd be awesome for Trevor Lawrence and the Jags and Doug Peterson to you know make the playoffs this year in his first year. Not much of a threat, in my opinion. You never know what kind of Jags team you'll get, but. That just shows right there, you know, the Titans don't hold the division. They don't make the playoffs this year. I definitely think it's time to think about doing a rebuild and kind of starting fresh. And that could mean so many different things. But I think it's definitely the end of an era for Nashville and the Tennessee Titans. You know, a lot of of teams didn't really help themselves this weekend, the Titans being one of them. Looking looking at the Dolphins, they fell apart. Obviously talked about Tua suffering another concussion. You know, that came back to bite them in the ass. They had a chance to lock up a playoff spot this weekend. That's the other thing. Chargers have a chance to lock up a playoff spot tonight as well. So we'll see. But that's not looking hot for them either. Dolphins definitely didn't help themselves. Patriots losing, they didn't help themselves. Raiders definitely hurt themselves. You know, the Raiders are really sitting on the outside looking in right now. They They kind of need a lot of things to go their way in order for them to really have a chance. They're still alive technically, but I feel like their season's shot. I feel like they're, they're pretty much done for. The odds of them making the playoffs are small, but never, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if they somehow snuck in like they did last year. Commanders, you know, they're still sitting in the seventh spot right now, but their loss definitely didn't help them. Giants, they got beat up by the – well, they didn't get beat up by the Vikings. They got beat up by the Vikings' adversity and willingness to just somehow – only win one-score games. They just keep finding ways to do it. Definitely doesn't help the Giants. They still have a really high chance of locking up a playoff spot next week, though. <clears throat> Seahawks and Lions were the other two. They really hurt themselves. Oh, my God. Is there just another interception? Yeah. 
Nick Foles just threw another interception. This is an awesome Monday night game. Three interceptions. This is unreal. But Seahawks-Lions, they didn't help themselves. They really could have used the win with the Commanders and Giants losing to really make their, their chances a lot higher. But, you know, some teams did do some good for themselves. The Steelers kept themselves alive. You never know with the Steelers. They're, they're, Steelers and the Packers were probably the best winners of the weekend other than the Bengals and Ravens clinching playoff spots. Just keeping themselves alive, man. That's all you got to do this time of the year. You just got to keep finding a way. How crazy would it be if the Steelers and Packers both snuck into the playoffs? They both have had some up-and-down years. Ooh, I don't know if Derwin James got that. That's going to be a close one. Looking at it, getting one foot, I can't tell if he gets the other. But, you know, Packers, I could see them making a run. I've been saying it for the past couple of weeks now. There's just something feisty about them. They found a way to get it done again, but we'll see. But that's today's show. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, send to your friends, send to your family members, send to anyone else that believes in mythical creatures like I do. But other than that, I um, hope you have a blessed week. I will see you on Friday, but get, re get ready to listen to me for the new year. Whatever else you got to say, I love you. Thank you for your time. All these other things, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you name it. But for now, your boy Titties is out.